Welcome to the No Fear podcast of First Presbyterian Church. My name is Bob Fuller, Senior Pastor of First Presbyterian Church in San Antonio, Texas, with your No Fear Word of the Day. Welcome back to the No Fear Podcast. This is Bob Fuller, pastor of First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio. And once again, I'm here with Alex Solorio and Alex Clary. Again, one Bob, two Alexes, and 30 minutes of theology. Thanks for being with us. We're glad that you are here today. Today, we're going to go on a little bit of a personal turn, and I'm going to let these two guys introduce you to themselves in a, in a deeper and in a newer kind of way, and that is just to just tell you their call stories, that is, how they came to know the Lord in a way of service and how they came to to take that turn, not simply to be believers, but to be disciples and leaders in uh, in their relationship with God. And so as we turn in that direction, one of the things that comes to mind is, of course, a quote that you're going to hear me use over and over again. It's a quote by John Calvin. And the quote is this, that nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, comes from two things, knowledge of God and knowledge of ourselves. And what these guys are here to do today is to tell you a little bit about their knowledge of God as they have learned more about themselves and their knowledge of themselves as they've learned more about God. And so let me turn it over to them and just say, first of all, Alex and Alex, thank you all so much for being here today. Thank you for your willingness to share in this podcast, and thank you for sharing your story with us. So, Alex Solorio, tell us about your journey and your call story and and what brings you to this place today. So, uh, many of you that probably have have listened to the No Fear podcast, there was a podcast I've done with uh, uh, Pastor Fuller, uh, where we talked about mentorship, even hmm. <clears throat> we talked about my, my life verse or a verse that has been sticking out to me. And so I shared a little bit about my story in that of mentorship and people that have invested in my life. Uh, and the example that I used was football. I talked about how FCA was a big part of it, uh, but more so than ever that it was, it was my coaches and it was professors and, and people in my life that why I – I resonate with mentorship so much. And the reason for that is, uh, let's go back even further, as, as you're asking us about our, like, almost a form of testimony and also the sense of calling of why we do what we do, um, which I think is the reason. I think it kind of motivates us for sure. So I mentioned earlier before, and if this is your first time hearing from me, again, I'm from Southwest Houston. And so uh, born and raised in Southwest Houston. And so it wasn't necessarily the greatest area in in Houston, but uh, thanks be to God, I had two loving parents that fought for me. I had an older sister and a younger brother, um, and they did the best they can with what they had. And so um, a, lo- a big part of my story is a lot of the insecurities. And so my sister was a cross-country runner. Even when my little brother was in school, he was a cross-country runner. He was a long-distance runner when he was running. Um, and then there's me, the, just the big one in the middle. And so I always <laughs> was wondering why the Lord had made me different. And uh, I got picked on a ton at school. I was definitely the last one picked and uh, first one out. And just uh, I didn't feel loved. I, I thought that I knew. Uh, I, I knew that there was a God. I just didn't think that he loved me. Mm. Uh, we were 
I was born into a Catholic family, and then there were there was a time where we didn't go to church at all, and so during that season, and we ended up going to another church. Somebody had told my dad the gospel and said, "Find a church with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit." And so we ended up going to a Pentecostal Assemblies of God church, which is the reason why you keep hearing me, mm, or oh, <laughs> you know, you hear me shout in church, be like, "Yes." Amen. You know, because that's just that's the that's how I started coming up in it. But even then, I still had my doubts and I had my hurts. And so, um, the way that I hit rock bottom, which is so interesting now in theology, um, for me as a reformed, uh, as as I as I plant my flag in the reform camp, uh, that I didn't go looking for him, which is very true. Mm-hmm. I didn't go looking for the Lord. He found me. He met me in my darkest time. And in my darkest time, um, I felt that I was unloved. I felt like I wasn't worthy of love. Uh, I felt brokenhearted. I felt like a loner. Uh, I felt useless because at the time I didn't have football in my life. I didn't have these gifts or talents that I thought that I had. Uh, I didn't have a lot of friends. I mean, I, I knew people, and people knew that I was nice, but they would take advantage of my me being nice. So I ended up in this really dark place, where um, which is why I take seriously when people talk about mental health and particularly in suicide, uh, because that was definitely a moment that I was in in my life where I was old enough to understand something, but I wasn't old enough to truly get the full grasp of life. And I'll never forget it. And I I think I shared this once in front of my parents, and my parents were even shocked because they just didn't even know either. But um, I had this, I had my moment of um, trying to take my life. And for some reason, uh, all I could think about was who Jesus was. And I'm not trying to like sound Christianese or anything like that. I'm not saying that I I saw him. I'm not saying that I heard a voice. I just, my mind was flooded with who Jesus was. And the reason for this was, again, we started going to this Pentecostal Assemblies of God church. We, uh, I was seeing uh, FCA at the middle school that we were going to and stuff like that. And, and it just so happened that week before, uh, one of my public school teachers, which she wasn't supposed to do this, uh, said like, hey, Alex, I, I see that you've been going through a hard time. I see that you're going through a ton. I just want you to know that Jesus loves you. Mm. Mm, wow. you're, you're loved. And because she, she knew I was going through a hard time. She knew I, I didn't like my life uh, just by the way that I would carry myself. And her saying that, it was like, okay, if I don't feel that way when I go to church, this new church that I'm going to, if I don't feel that, and because there were moments of like at home, like there, there were moments of pain at home, so I was just like, if I don't feel it at home and I don't feel it at church, what makes you think I'm going to understand and understand that in the place where I get made fun of the most at mm. school? But that's exactly who the Lord used. And so under that bed, I was so mad. I said all, all the cuss words that I knew, which was like four at the time, <laughs> and I made this pact. Little did I know who I was talking to. I was like, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I want you to change my life in a year, Lord. I'm going to trust in you. But if you don't, I'm going to be right back under this bed, and I'm going to finish what I started. And I'm telling you now, my life has not has not stopped changing since that moment under that bed. Football came into my life. Friends started coming into my life. Uh, opportunities of me discovering who I am and my abilities came more and more and more. So as I looked back in high school, uh, there was a saying that my friend had said once, and I've adopted it for myself. It's like I was saved to live, and now I live to serve, which motivated me to want to get my education through Houston Baptist, to having my moment of education going from biochemistry to switching to Christianity, 
it, it, it propelled all those things. Now, were there bumpy roads and moments of darkness and a prodigal son journey in between that? Yes, there were. There's not enough time on this podcast <laughs> to talk about that. <laughs> but I'll say this. That moment motivates me to this point. Even the moment of my prodigal son journey in the midst of college, in between high school and college, motivates why I do what I do now. So I will never forget going to a passion conference, and I was confused because I was at the juncture of whether if I continue to go through this science route or follow the call that the Lord has called in my life. And I stood up when they said, if you feel called to ministry, have the boldness to stand, and we're going to pray for you. And I'll never forget standing up at that passion conference and saying, there's no turning back. There is no mm-hmm. turning back from this. It was almost like an altar call for future almost. church leaders. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and again, we're in college. So what do we know, right? Lo and behold, the Lord would use that moment. And then I would enter into my college, my Christianity, my start my Christianity journey, get my master's, uh, desire how to have a heart for college students. Uh, because, again, college is probably the toughest area of life because uh, you're getting exposed to so much information. And it motivates me to this day in which I love what I do. And the reason why I do what I do is because I know that there are college students that are hurting. There are college students that are lost. Uh, there are college students that are confused about the gospel. Uh, there are college students that are just wandering. And my job, as uh, as they call it in, in football, as if you're on the defensive side of the ball, they call you a headhunter. Like I'm looking for the guy who has the ball, and I'm coming for him. I'm a headhunter. Mm. And in the same way, I've taken that mentality of wanting to go after somebody that has the ball. I want to go after the person that's hurting. Hmm. I want to go after the one that nobody wants to talk to. Because just as I was the kid that was sitting in the lunchroom by himself, felt down, felt insecure, felt unloved or unworthy, I want, I want our college students to know, no, you are lovable. You are worthy. You're not defined by what the world says, because the world is speaking super loud right now. You're not defined by looking like these covers of magazines or money or power, all these things. You're not defined by that. And so um, that's a big part of my calling. And so thanks be to God, the surrounding people in my life, my mentors, my coaches, have affirmed that calling, which is I think is a big part of calling, is to have affirmation from the outside saying, I affirm these things in you, which is why I'm here now. Oh, that's that's really cool. You know, that's that, that threefold sense of call is – is so important. Um, just the in, in the old Presbyterian way of looking at things. There's the there's the call that one feels internally, and then there's the call that uh, that one feels from God. I mean, it's the, it's a, a God's affirmation of this. And then there's also the, the the call that comes from you know having a having a flock to lead. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really cool. Um, Thank you, Alex. Thanks for sharing that. Thanks, that's uh, it's it's it it's cool to to be with two guys who are willing to be vulnerable, um, because I know how much God is is using you in, in powerful and in mighty ways. So, so thank you for sharing that. Thanks be to God. Amen. Mm-hmm. All right, Alex Clary. Yeah. So uh, again, thanks for having us here. Uh, really excited to just sit down with y'all guys again and talk about things of the Lord. Uh, Yeah, so I really liked how Alex kind of merged his testimony as well as his call, because those things are definitely linked together. And so uh, I was born in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, My mother and father were uh, never married. Uh, They, you know, tried to make things work when I was born, but uh, 
That was just not in the plans. And so from the time I was about a year old on, uh, I grew up in two different households. Uh, wasn't really involved in any sort of active church body. Uh, no idea of what a children's ministry was or a children's director or even a youth pastor. Uh, you know, just kind of taught that be a good kid, you know, yes ma'am, no ma'am, go to school. Uh, was raised in Rock Hill, South Carolina, which is about 20 minutes south of Charlotte. Um, and I grew up thinking that the Bible was just some old rule book. All I really knew was the Ten Commandments, and I thought Jesus was just this hippie dude who hung out in the fields <laughs> in ancient Israel and spoke in these crazy stories that didn't make any sense, and I didn't have any time for it. I thought God was just some authoritarian judge who sat on a throne pointing his finger down at people because all I had ever heard or the few times I might have interacted with the Bible, uh, somehow I was always ending up in like the minor prophets where God talks about the destruction and the desolation, <laughs> which now we know are, you know, <laughs> signs of hope and signs of things to come. But 13-year-old Alex didn't have those interpretation skills. So I had no time for God, had no no desire to know anything about him. And I really looked down on people who claimed to know God. Uh, I'll never forget my eighth grade year. There were some kids talking about Jesus at the lunch table. And I almost in a very antagonistic way, walked up to him and said, like, why are y'all wasting your time? Like, God isn't real. This is ridiculous. This is dumb. And in the summer before my freshman year of high school, um, I was at my dad's house during the summer, and my grandfather called my dad and said, Craig, what is Alex up to in the next couple weeks? Well, I was a 14-year-old. Didn't have anything going on. Didn't have a job. You know, it was just the summer. So my dad said, nothing. Well, my grandfather had signed me up and paid for a spot for me to go with his church's youth group uh, to a summer camp. It was through a parachurch organization that's uh, involved with Lifeway now called Student Life Camps. Um, they were going to host a camp at Covenant College uh, in Lookout Mountain, Georgia, right there by Chattanooga, Tennessee. And um, it was a beautiful campus, and I didn't really have much of a choice. Grandfather had paid for the spot. I didn't have anything going on. I had no way of getting out of it. So I reluctantly packed my, packed my bags, went. I knew a few of the kids in the youth group, um, and I knew some people on staff just because anytime I would stay at my grandparents, their rule was, if you're going to stay, got to go to church. So I had some sort of interaction with some people in the youth group. But uh, walked in or walked onto the campus of Covenant College, still thinking that that's what this book was about, had no time or place for it. And then uh, the Lord radically changed my life, and I realized that this book is about a Savior who is not far off. Mm -hmm. He is not pointing his finger at us. He is not mm -hmm. hovering his finger over the annihilation button waiting to destroy us. So this is a God of love. This is a God of tenderness. This is a God who knows me personally. And I had never had that direct, undivided attention before, and it was amazing to hear that the Lord did that. So uh, July 29th, 2010 is when I gave my life to the Lord. Um, you know, I think we all have different testimony stories, and some people have like a process of coming to know the Lord, but mine was very much a one night all at once, woke up that morning having nothing to do with the Lord, went to bed that night, a new believer in Christ, praise oh, be to wow. God. So um, yeah, the Lord has been really really gracious to me. And, um, and so that kind of motivates me to see those kids of the kids who, who aren't a part of the church, the kids who don't have any religious background of that's, that was me. I was there, had no involvement in a youth group in middle school, no idea of an FCA or any sort of community. And so going through my uh, high school years, so I started my freshman year of high school on fire for the Lord, but had all this passion and had no grounding in it, had no idea what I was doing because I was a brand new believer. And so um, there, there was a lot of periods that 
Solorio, I echo with you of, you know, times of just running from the Lord, um, not really being consistent in my walk with Christ. Uh, some days I would try my best to act like a good Christian, and then other days I would act like the ways of the world, and it really damaged a lot of my witness in high school, and I uh, really damaged a lot of the reputation that I was trying to build for myself. Um, but in terms of my calling, I will never forget, uh, it was my senior year of high school. I didn't really have any idea of what I wanted to do for a living. Uh, my youth pastor at my grandfather's church, his name is Joe Landman. I'm still in contact with him today. He is an awesome man of the Lord, but he was the youth pastor. And every Thursday we would meet at a Panera Bread and we would get coffee and just talk about the Lord and talk about the Bible, talk about our world. And he really shaped my discipleship. And so I had that role model within a youth ministry context that I really thought was interesting and I really looked up to. But it was my senior year of high school. Uh, I was in a Spanish class. And I want to go ahead and put up now, I am not fluent in Spanish. <laughs> my knowledge of the Spanish language stopped when I graduated high school. So this is not me trying to you know, make myself look good or to brag on myself, because that is not the case at all. Uh, but there was a time in the Spanish class, my senior year of high school, um, I... It was a normal class. Uh, it wasn't sort of any advanced. It was just the basic level of Spanish. And there was a concept. I can't even remember what concept it was, but it was an idea that the teacher was trying to get across to the rest of the class. And again, this is not trying to make myself look good. This was I, I look back at this as a time where God used it to shape me into who I am today. But the teacher spent a lot of her time trying to emphasize this point, and the class just wasn't getting it, wasn't getting it. And I was kind of getting frustrated because I was like, guys, why are you not getting this? And so I raised my hand. I said, uh, Professor, can I stand up real quick and try to help explain it? And I went to the uh, board, the whiteboard in the classroom, and I wrote out kind of what she was talking about. And I was just in this moment of trying to help other people understand the point that was trying to be made. And it was like a light bulb went off in my head because the kids caught on. They understood what I was trying to say. And it wasn't me undermining the professor. It wasn't me, you know, trying to stiff arm her and take over her class, but it was a very clear moment of, wow, I explained that really well. And I went back to huh. my youth pastor, Joe, and I kind of walked through with that. And he said, Alex, you, you might have the gift of teaching. You might have this ability to kind of walk people through what you're trying to explain. And so he put me into some leadership positions within our youth ministry, uh, within our children's ministry and our church. And I really, through Joe's discipleship and through him empowering the gifts that he saw in me, I really saw that teaching and kind of instructing others is really a gift that God has given me. And I praise God for that, and He that is definitely a gift He gave to me. And so uh, that fall, I applied to one college. It was Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, one day in August, my dad made me sit down and said, you're not getting up off this couch until you put some applications out. And so I knew I wanted to go to a Christian college. Um, I knew from my background in high school, I needed to be surrounded by uh, not as many temptations as you would face in a public school. And so I applied there. I got in. I majored in youth ministry, family, and culture. And there, Dr. David Olshine, who is the chair of the youth ministry department, um, took me under his wing my freshman year of college. And I was still unsure about youth ministry, children's ministry, some kind of church ministry, but it was really through him seeing the the gifts and the talents that the Lord had given me that uh, I am here today. And so it was definitely a process of learning what it means to abandon your past and that, you know, how do you deal with your past before you became to know with the Lord? 
and you know the 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 adults that surrounded me and brought out the gifts and talents that the Lord had given me, and that's what really motivates me today. Is uh, I know that there are students who one of the think the biggest questions you have in middle school and high school is who am I? Mm-hmm. What is my role? How do I right. fit into this world? And if it wasn't for Joe Landman and David Olshine seeing that in me and telling me what Scripture has to say about who I am, telling me what Scripture has to say about the gifts and talents God has given me, I would not be here. And so mm-hmm. I, you know, by God's grace, I pray that these students would find myself or other volunteers or parents within our church that they would find those adult models and those adult mentors that could pour into them and point them to the gospel. And so that's kind of my brief background and where I came from, and uh, praise be to God for him bringing all of us here today. That is really great, and and thank you for sharing that. Uh, I want to pick up on a theme that both of you all touched on, and that's that's the theme of mentorship mm. and how important it was. You know, Alex, you've talked about this, especially in a uh, previous uh, podcast, mm. um, but feel free to repeat any of that that you've said before. Um, uh, Alex Clary, you, you've just told us some of that, too. Um, but here's here's what I'm here's what's really kind of working on me because this is a question I ask myself as a leader because I I also had great mentors men uh, women both who prodded me who turned me who asked that question who pointed out that gift who who kind of grabbed me by the by the shoulders let me the question I want to ask the two of you all to reflect on is is now you're in that position mm. how are you developing as a mentor to be that guy mm. who asks that asks that timely question or that uh or that helps somebody else take that move that you all both made mm-hmm. uh, either one who, who wants to try and yeah um you know it's not easy and there are so many times that I do call Joe or I do call Dr. Olshan and I say, hey, what would you do in this situation, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you helped me. Now I need to help them. Yep. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think it does. The, I think one thing that's really interesting is that my mentors still have mentors. Mm. And so it's not this Great. moment where you've arrived and you say, hey, I've got it from here. Thanks for your advice. Now I'm going to pour into other people. Um, I use this example to kids when I give this talk is I'll put – three cups out in front of them. One is full of water. And I'll paint this picture of as you pour from one cup of water to the empty cup, you're eventually going to run out. And if you're not being poured into, you can't pour out. Wow. And so yeah. it's it's really tempting to say, hey, I'm mentoring other people now. So like I've got all the answers. I've got all the wisdom. But the reality is, is that you never stop learning. You never stop growing. And so there's a ton of what I do of calling people who have more wisdom than me, approaching Solorio or approaching Becky Pritchard or even approaching you, Bob, of saying, hey, what would you do in this situation? Because, you know, in talking to students, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not super older than the kids that I work with. I'm not like, I'm not well along in my years above them. And even with how close I might be in age to some of these kids, they're still facing problems I never faced at their age. Right. And they're experiencing that I experience things that I never had to face. And so a lot of times I do have to find other people and say, hey, what would you do in this situation? Or what is the guidance that I can give them? So yeah, I think one thing that I've really learned is that you don't ever need to stop being mentored too, even when you're mentoring other people. 
Oh, oh, good stuff. Alex Solorio, how about you? Yeah, first of all, uh, y'all weren't able to see this on the radio, but I threw my hands up. <laughs> <laughs> threw my hands up. There's the Pentecostal my, coming out. My, oh. <laughs> Let me pull out my, uh, my tambourine real quick. Amen. Uh, <laughs> but when he said that my mentors have mentors, I threw my hands up because uh, every a mentor that I have right now that has been in my life um, – have all demonstrated that sense of wisdom of having someone else pouring into them. Um, first of all, like I don't think there's not one member of staff as far as like pastoral staff that I haven't gone to seek wisdom out. And there's also staff members too, that I've been like, Hey, can I, can I bounce something off of you? Right. Right. So, um, you know, from, from Joe, Scott, Becky, Bob, from yourself, uh, and even Ron skates. And even now with my, the two that are most intentionally walking with me, Mitchell, and even my, my mentor that's still back in Houston, Mac Gervais, uh, you know, both of them, uh, as, I, uh, as I speak with them more frequently than most, uh, they all demonstrate this sense of being poured into, right? But they also demonstrate the, the need to speak truth, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a difference between leading people and then actually mentoring someone, right? Because I can lead a group, but just because I lead a group doesn't mean that I've, I've, I've looked at someone that says, I need you to come with me. Right. right. Um, even when you see like discipleship or mentorship, I've, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's it's almost a sense of like I want to be covered in the dust that you kick up from your feet. Mm. That's how closely mm. I want to walk behind you. Mm-hmm. I want to walk behind you so closely that the dust that comes up off your feet as you're walking is covering me. Right. Mm. Um, and so that's what Mac had uh, had taught me when I was in my master's. So so uh, my theme when I'm talking with students that I'm I'm I, we're going to that next level of mentorship is uh, first of all, I teach them all. If you're a leader, this is just me. I'm not saying this is a book or anything like that, or I'm not going contrary to other leadership things, but my language is always, there's two rules of being a leader. First rule, do your job Mm. as a leader, do the job that the Lord has called you to do. Cause especially as we're talking about calling, if he's called you, you have a responsibility to respond to that calling and to do the very thing that God's called you to do. And your second, and probably this is probably one of the most important ones is find your replacement. Mm. Find your replacement. If you can't find it, then build one up. Mm. Cause if you care for the people, lo and behold, if you leave or the Lord takes you or something goes down, I'm not worried because I brought up this other person with me and I know they're going to be able to take care of it. Mm. They're going to take care of the situation. They're going to take up, they're going to be able to step up. Right. And that sense of mentorship. Right. And so, um, so that that's that's definitely something that resonated with me as as I've tried to bring someone up. Uh, one great testimony that I have here at our church at First Pres, and maybe y'all would have seen him in contemporary service. Uh, but there's there's two guys that I poured into a ton, which was Matthew Adair and Stars and Shelvin. Right, I, I love them both uh, very very much so. Um, and uh, both of them were just um, phenomenal people that I can speak truth to and like speak it straight. Right, and be like, hey, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna cut straight real quick. So. Uh, all the you know fluffiness. Let, let's put that aside. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I, I think I think we've talked about it. it's like a well, it's not it's not like a ten percent conversation, but it's very much like I need to speak some truth. Um, we I've had those with them too for sure. Uh, but somebody that would always come back as we were talking was Star. Uh, I would I would speak with Star or I would take him out to lunch and we'd have these phenomenal conversations. And he would he would always tell me he was like Alex, I'm gonna pay for your food one of these days. It was like, because I would always pay for the meal, right? Because that's what leaders do. You just, you know, I'm mentoring you. You're coming here sitting down with me. Let, let's chop it up, and I'll pay for the meal. 
And so uh, he, he would tell me, he was like, Alex, I got the meal this time. Mm. I said, no, like, I've got this meal. He was like, well, I want to pay you back. And I was like, do you know how you will pay me back? You will pay me back when you are able to take another kid mm. or another friend and you pay for their meal mm. and you love on them and you tell them about Christ. You tell them of his hope. You tell them about his faith. You tell them about the mercy that is shown, the love that is showered for them. That's how you pay me back. Don't don't take me out on a meal. Find somebody that you can pour into now. Mm. You notice that snowball mm-hmm. effect, right? Because yeah. he knows that I'm getting poured into by my mentors, and I'm pouring into him, and my prayer is that we're creating this legacies, right? I think mm-hmm. that's what we did talk about mm-hmm. in that last podcast. You're creating a legacy of leadership and mentorship, Um which is a beautiful thing. So, that's fantastic, and you know, and and one of the things that you all are gonna you're gonna discover is that, you know, we we tend to think up age wise mm-hmm. in terms of our mentors. There is a point where you start to get to my age, and some of the people that you have mentored start to mentor you, mm-hmm. and kind of it's kind of like the the tide having gone out then comes back in. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a whole other topic. But, you know, I think about, too, just, just the role of those, those people who are, who are willing to be the called bearers in our lives. Um, because, you know, calling, yes, it can come through just the inward stirring of the Holy Spirit, and I think that's definitely a part of it. But it's also that other piece. It's that somebody telling you, I, I see something in you. Mm. I think God is working in you. Mm. I've identified a gift in you. Let's talk about this. Mm-hmm. You know, to be a call bearer is a, a really blessed thing. Mm. And, you know, because we all, I mean, because when we think about call stories, we do tend to think, you know, from the perspective of the one receiving the call. But, you know, being able to, being able to say to somebody, I really see God all over you, and I don't want you to overlook that. I don't want you to miss that. And, you know, what a, what a wonderful, blessed uh, honor it would be, and it is and has been for me at times, to be able to say, God is calling you. All right, guys. Thank you. That is that is good stuff. We we have a lot that we are going to continue to talk about in the the weeks and months to come. But I want to thank both of you all for answering not only God's call to ministry, but answering God's call to this place at this time in this moment, because He has definitely called the two of you all to serve Him and to serve this people through this church. Thanks a lot. And we'll talk again soon.